Welcome at the podcast for the future of health. Conversations about innovation, technology, change, but most of all about people in health. This is not again a podcast about money or efficiency in processes. If that is your cup of tea, you might want to find another podcast. Dr. Louise Shaper is an innovator and change agent who doesn't sit still and whose passion and enthusiasm for health informatics is shaping a new future for HISA, the Australian digital health community. Her appointment as CEO came on the back of 10 years of experience in and applied passion for health informatics. With a background as an occupational therapist and a PhD on technology acceptance amongst health professionals, after a 24-hour flight because she invited me to her conference in Melbourne, I sat down with this powerhouse. And this is what came out of it. So good morning, Louise. Good morning, Lucian. Sitting in Melbourne, down under for me, was a great trip coming in. Excellent. I should say good day, shouldn't I? Uh, yeah, good day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try that one as well, yeah. Um, can you tell me a bit about yourself? You're running, as one of the things that you do, you're running this great conference over here. But why do you do these kind of things, actually? Uh, why? Yeah, I wouldn't know anything else to do, <laughs> really, to be honest. So, uh, yes, yeah, so my name's Louise Shaper, and I mm-hmm. um, currently I'm the CEO of the Health Informatics Society of Australia. Um, but what I'm about is actually impact and influence. I'm trying to fix healthcare. I'm one of thousands of people trying to fix healthcare. Mm-hmm. And um, if I can have platforms, and thank you for inviting me onto your show, because that's a fabulous platform. Um, it's where we can actually be impactful and influential for others and helping grow this army that we need to to fix healthcare, then that drives me. That's what gets me up in the morning. Yeah. And for how long are you doing this already? Uh, Well, I have been doing my current paid job for almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years in a couple of months. Wow. Mm. And prior to that? Prior to that, um, so, uh, well, training-wise, I trained as an occupational therapist uh, and then I ended up doing a PhD in health informatics. And I, on the day that I, ha- I handed in my PhD, I, my plans were to take a break. Um, I hadn't slept much in the previous three months <laughs> and I bought novels and, uh, you know, and some DVDs because it was back in the days of DVDs yep. uh, before we streamed. We movies. still know them. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, and that, that was my plan uh, to actually take a bit of a break. And instead, um, within weeks of handing that in, uh, the CEO of Heiser Job came up and um, someone suggested I apply for it and then two people and then three people suggested and I thought, oh, maybe I should give it a go. And um, there you go. And ten years later, I still haven't had that break. <laughs> the novels are still waiting for you? Yeah, well, I started <laughs> investing in Audible books. So oh, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so tell me about Audible, indeed. That's also one of the things I like very yeah. much. I like podcasts, but um, what's your flavor of getting these Audible books is it in car? Is it in planes? Is it during your workout? It's sort of everywhere, yeah. yeah. So I must say I am a huge fan of um, all the people who have bought us these mobile devices and headphones yeah. and, and, and the Bluetooth headphones. So basically I'm always multitasking. I feel like I'm wasting my time if I'm only doing one thing at a time. So it means when I'm doing the dishes, doing the ironing, going for a run, driving, I'm always listening to something. And, and, and I also use it to go to sleep. 
my, yeah. So <laughs> you fall asleep during reading yes, the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so we're listening. Yeah. So I have, um, I have this disorder. I'd like to think because that um, I can't. I have trouble turning my brain off, and mm. and yet if I'm really tired, I'll fall asleep watching television. And so I thought, well, why am I able to do that? So now what I'll do is if I, um, because I'm always thinking about what's next and what am I doing tomorrow. And anyway, so now I put on a lecture or an audio book and just press play, and I let it run for about 15 minutes and five minutes into it I'm asleep and then I just pick it up rewind it and, and you find morning. yourselves waking up with headphones on uh, sometimes I do yeah. Uh-huh. yeah and if I'm sleeping on my own then that's better because I don't have to use headphones yeah of but, course um, yeah. yeah sometimes the headphones are all throughout the bed <laughs> to find them in the morning yeah so is that also a bit of a narrative of the things that are happening in healthcare IT right now mm. more and more using stuff that's available remotely in different places to be delocalized Uh, is that something also that has a resemblance between what we are doing with podcasts and listening to audiobooks indeed? Mm. Uh, where is this going? Oh, well, I think the real shift is that in previous years, um, you know, in the previous 20 years, there had, and longer actually, there has been uh, the impact of technology in healthcare. Mm. Uh, so, you know, electronic, um, actually getting electronic health records into hospitals. In Australia, um, in the 90s, like before the internet, we had 98% of our GPs, uh, general practitioners that mm. is, uh, using uh, technology to manage their clinical information. So, but in the past, and this is where the real difference I see that in the past, it's always been about the application of technologies that exist in other sectors or for other purposes to healthcare. What digital health and what really excites me, and I think we're just at the start of this journey, is now we're talking about healthcare in a digital world. And that is a very different concept um, and what it can achieve and what that means for clinicians and especially what it means for us as patients, as consumers, game changer. Yeah, I totally agree with that. One of the things that I also see often is that people talk about Mm -hmm. e-health. And I think it was fine for, let's say, the last 10, 15 years that it was something special that some group within a hospital or otherwise would work on that specific topic like it also was with quality uh, within healthcare yep. in, in, the, in the early days. But now it really should come as a standard feature of healthcare. And it's just healthcare, I think. Yeah, um, won't that be wonderful? Just how, yeah. how long is it going to take? <laughs> I mean, we have oh. to be patient with these things. But yeah, it should, because I remember, I, you know, I'm not that, that young. I do remember that when the internet was invented and we had e-business and e-commerce yeah. and they were terms that, you know, if you're in your 20s now, you wouldn't think we actually use them, but we did. But not for long, a year or two, because then business actually went, well, hang on a minute, this is actually the way that we should do business. And uh, so they dropped the E off and it just became business and commerce and it's just banking. We don't do e-banking, no. you know, um, and healthcare has got a while before we get there, but, but we will. Why is that, you think? <laughs> why is What? it taking so long? Yeah, why is it taking <laughs> so long in, it's a lot harder. in healthcare? Yeah, it's a lot harder. So in most other um, industries, um, and like, well, banking's a good one um, to use. Banking is so simple by comparison. So, um, Lucian, you and I are from different continents, and yet I'm pretty sure I could understand how banking works in your country, and I'm pretty sure you could work it out how it works here. It's the same thing. It's like, I have money. It needs to be stored somewhere. I need to access it. Um, it's numbers. It's, you know, uh, bytes. And anyway, it's very, it's very easy, right? It's sort of a binary thing. Um, and healthcare, every single, I mean, you know, every single person is unique. Every single system is unique. Um, and so um, how to, 
it's structured data is one example, for instance, and it might be a bit boring, but if you think about it in banking, it's like $100 is £100 is €100. I mean, you know, we sort of got an idea of money, whereas um, the language that we use to describe healthcare is so critical to get right, but there's lots of different words. Like there's about seven different terms that mean heart attack in English. And so if you're programming a computer to actually understand those seven different terms just in English, let alone other languages, how do you do that? I mean, I'm breaking, that's very basic. There is, you know, um, people here that would say there's, it's, there's a lot more technical things, but it's, it's a lot harder problem to solve. What we're trying to solve is a wicked problem here, and it's one that takes a village to do it uh, because the problem is, is not a technical one. It is with people and with systems, and we're all unique. So Sorry, this, this is also, <laughs> yeah, I always like to think it's about culture. Yeah. Um, yes, we're from different continents, but anatomically, mankind is pretty much the same yeah. in Europe and then in Australia. Uh, the majority of the physicians have been trained in the same way. They're using the same language to describe problems mm -hmm. with uh, with your body. And and uh, and yet in, in the IT fashion, we kind of dissected it in, again, different systems that have to talk to each other and indeed mm -hmm. use the same words and the definitions for it. Why is it that's, that, that, that we've kind of diverted so much from the original ones? Uh, because I think that if you put a physician from Italy at the table tonight with some uh, from New Zealand, they pretty much be able to talk about their specific speciality yeah. with no problem at all. They would. But so, would they agree on how that information should be captured, how it should be shared, who should own it? I mean, these are these cultural yeah. problems or these cultural challenges and and uh, it's something that isn't, there's not many countries that can mandate these things mm. um, and how they how the decisions get made is, is quite complex. So, no, I, I completely agree that... So it's more of the governance kind of aspect. Governance right? comes into it a lot, uh, absolutely so. Uh, so there is, uh, yeah, it is it's just, it is a more complex problem. Yeah. So it takes a village. Um, what kind of village does it take to get this these things up and running? What, yep. What's the power pill, the power boost that <laughs> if you would wake up uh, in the middle of the night after falling asleep with your Audible book and all of a sudden, <laughs> now I got this magic wand, yep. what would you do? Well, firstly, you'd start with how, like, to, to that culture problem, how you educate people. Mm. So when, um, and look, there are pockets of innovation in this um, in this space around the world, and including in Australia. But generally, um, doctors, nurses, occupational therapists, all the clinicians that are so important to delivering healthcare and who we trust and rely on, they're not taught these things at university. Um, and they're not trained together, by the way. They are not known. No, they're not. In Australia, we've done a bit in getting our mm. allied health people trained together. But no, so they're, they're taught that, um, generally speaking, that um, the information that, you know, you're collecting about a patient who's sitting in front of you is for your purposes. So whether you're an orthopedic surgeon or you're an, an occupational therapist, you're collecting that information for your own purposes. You're not thinking about how that information um, could be useful to others in the clinical care team, and especially usually not for the patient. Mm. I mean, now these things are changing, um, and you certainly see a lot of people 
people really understanding that that is shouldn't no longer be the case. But if we're looking at you know where to start, I'd be starting it if I could change everyone's perspective straight away. It would be that the information that you're collecting, you don't own it. It's not for your purposes. It's for the collective good of that patient sitting in front of you, and it includes them. Um, and so it needs to be captured um, and accessible, all with appropriate security protocols, of course, of course and yeah. privacy protocols. But it needs to be captured and shared in a way that is going to actually enable improved patient outcomes. And that is not how we're trained to collect clinical information. And is that also something that's happening right now where, let's say, new players, Apples, yeah. Amazons, are stepping into the arena and say, we're able to get that data at one place and you could use it, you could start to share it with all the rest of the information that you also share yourself. Is that one of the power boosts that is going to push this? It could be. It could be. I mean, you know, those two companies you mentioned, I I, I think that they will actually. Um, but uh, they're, they've got their closed doors at the moment in terms of what they're working on and there's whispers around. Um, but, you know, uh, you don't get someone who's as successful in business as Steve Jobs was running Apple, um, as uh, Jeff Bezos is running Amazon, even though he's a lot poorer than he was a few months ago. <laughs> Poor Jeff. But, uh, you know, you don't get people who are that successful at business and disrupting markets, making serious plays for the healthcare sector. I mean, you know, uh, Jeff went and hired um, a tool, uh, Gwandi, again, he, tell, there's no way he would have taken that job if mm. it was just another job. He didn't need that job. Absolutely so not. what mm. they could be doing there could be real game changers. And look, and the thing is too, they're, one of their significant, no matter what ends up coming out of those, those powerhouses, as you call them, they're going to come direct to you and I as individuals, as, as consumers of their products, of their systems. Um, and, and people who, and we're already familiar with them. Whereas, of course, the current players in the healthcare system, we're not their, 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 their target market. They sell to hospitals, to large organisations, and in Australia to governments. So that very change in business model and business practice will, I think, it, it could be a real game changer. And it's certainly really interesting when I watch this space. I also like to think a lot that the user interface that these companies put front and center to consumers. Mm. Uh, and I'm the last one to say that a patient is a consumer. A patient has well, consumer aspirants. Well, consumer. Is it? Yeah, we do. And we've done it for a long, long time, before digital health. Yeah, wow. so we, I, I know it's, it's in, so we don't like the word patient because patient, um, just generally speaking as well, so patients um, mean that, you know, you're vulnerable, you um, have things done to you by mm -hmm. people who know better. It's this whole medicalization. So even in Australia, like we talk about healthcare, we very rarely use the term medicine. Even the conference that we're at is health informatics yeah. um, in America they call it medical informatics and in Europe it's medical informatics but in Australia we call it health informatics so it's just a change in nomenclature slightly but what it in what it intends is is quite significant so just so you know yeah consumer is not a bad word no no uh, uh, yeah, in terms of healthcare my reference also was to uh, like I said the the user interface people yes. are used to use technology use apps on a daily basis and they can order stuff at 10 a.m and it gets delivered by yep. five, if not you're grumpy. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden you need to get in this healthcare space where everything's siloed. They're yep. not talking to each other. Yep. Um, and and so, so I also hope that from these powerhouses, that is one of the aspects 
that gets brought to the table yep. for for all of us. Oh, absolutely. And it's a real problem that globally, um, again, these are general comments I'm yeah, making, sure. but you know, globally, clinicians don't like the medical record systems that they've been given to use. They don't like them very much. Um, and, um, and in a lot of the systems that came out of America were primarily designed first as a billing system. Um, and so, you know, and there are companies doing great things to improve the products and improve the interfaces, um, but they're a long way off for what consumers of today and you know just people of, of today expect because we all now I mean I'm looking around at the table in front of us and I see five computers no I see six and seven because you and I are also wearing computers <laughs> and I'm sure we both have some more in our bags yeah. so you know we're just we're so that that was my point at the beginning you know we're now talking about healthcare in the digital world not the application of technology yeah. to healthcare and so when we look at it that way um, you know we are used to interfaces that just work um, or a very pretty intuitive um, and that's not how traditional IT systems are built um, yeah. so it's certainly that again will be a game changer I think No uh, and, and building on your uh, uh, remark on how physicians and nurses and other frontline staff like or dis dislike systems that's one of the things I think about a lot is with all the technology that's present mm -hmm. uh, that they can use and that we have them to use did all of us fail in bringing that in a proper way to them. In the Netherlands, like 40% of the total time that a physician or a nurse spends with the patient or consumer yeah. is entering system, data and systems, yeah. like six, seven screens at one moment in time, up and running, and to copy-paste. It's 2019. You know, it's, it's, we can do better than that. We can do better. Yeah. Uh, is this due to the fact that the business models were different, that there was no good governance in it yet? Why did it went astray, actually? Yeah, and I don't, I would, I wouldn't like to think that that was a deliberate. I think people were just, yeah. you know, they were built as just one happened. thing and then other other things got added on and it was the best you can be. But um, And I would think that, yes, like you said, governance, it's really important to have the users of your products. And in this case, mm -hmm. healthcare, we're talking about the clinicians um, generally. So clinicians um, need to be at the design table um, on looking at how systems are designed because they also can bring something to the table that for a UX designer person who would not know yeah. in that's that, that aspect of clinical governance and actually being aware of how systems need to be designed so that they also don't they don't just not waste time and are unproductive but that they actually don't unintentionally cause harm so there's a whole field of e-safety around governance as oh, well yeah. of those systems and those um there's going to be actually we're going to hear from a ux expert at the conference as well talking about these things so we're interested to see what he, uh, he has to say so the HUX, the healthcare UX, yes. should change. Yeah. Maybe. Yes, definitely. And there is a lot of examples, unfortunately, of um, safety concerns in built into the way systems. So it's not just clunky or they look unattractive and they're a bit of a pain in the butt to use. Um, but there, um, for instance, there's a um, it's quite a big case in a, in Victoria where I'm from in Australia, where um, a hospital and audit was done of the IT system at a particular hospital, and discovered that the medic pulling up a medications list was too many clicks, right? So it was too like cumbersome for the clinicians. So what the clinicians were doing is they'd bring up, you know, Lucian's medical record and they'd just pick the first drug that sort of came up. 
And then they, in Australia, you have to physically print a prescription on paper. Okay. It's this you know, antiquated thing that is changing, but it hasn't changed yet. Anyway, so they print the piece of paper and then they would cross out in a pen, in a biro, no. and write what the actual On the paper. Is. Yes. Go figure. I know. <laughs> and, you know. But and, they're compliant. Yep. But they're, so the system that we, yeah, so, you know, and like the thing is, like the clinicians who were doing that, you know, that is not good practice mm-hmm. at all. Um, but they weren't doing that to try and cause patient harm. They weren't trying to do yeah. it to, you know, put crappy data into the system. It was just, you know, they're in a busy department. They're just trying to get through. They're trying to do the best. Um, and, you know, and that's one of the things that drives me as well is because I really feel for clinicians that all, you know, every single clinician I've ever met comes to healthcare with a, I want to do good and I want to help the planet and I want to help the humankind and individuals as well. Like that's their mantra. Yeah. And then they come in and they work in very pressured environments, in very pressured situations that most of us don't have to make those life and death decisions multiple times during a shift at work that the frontline clinicians do. And uh, and so what I think is really important, if we can do better by giving them systems that enable them to do their job better instead of actually putting burden on them, mm-hmm. um, and whether that's even using paper-based systems that they have to spend 30% of their shift running around the hospital looking for information, like yeah. we can do better. And, and I do think in the next 10 years it, um, we'll see um, significant changes um, for clinicians in that respect. So the next 10 years, um, your conference is is about health IT. Um, We're still talking about healthcare. Mm -hmm. We are. Um, How can healthcare, no, how can health IT help to push the needle also in terms of provincial aspects in terms of mm. lifestyle changing. Yeah. Could you elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, well, I know you're working in that very field. Yeah, well, I would say that that's a real game changer as well. So, um, so uh, and it wasn't I who first said it, but I, I quote this, um, I quote it in, in the public talks that I give and it's fascinating. I always get the same reaction in the audience and I just have a slide up there that sort of appears out of nowhere. It's not, I don't do a lead into it and it just says in five years, the majority of clinically valuable information will not be um, originating from your clinical care records, like your traditional healthcare settings. Yeah. And I'm usually speaking to healthcare audiences and I watch all their faces and I mm-hmm. do the dramatic pause <laughs> and you can see them trying to wrap their head around it. And then I talk about it. And, and the thing is, look, in, look, maybe in five years time, I've still got that debt, that slide that says five That's years. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but the point being is that um, traditionally where information came from is a patient sits in front of you, you ask them some questions, you write down the answers to their questions, and then you do tests inside your hospital or, you know, your healthcare facility. Facility. The information comes back, and that's what you're using to make your decisions. That's it. And and uh, we've seen in the last you know 10, 15 years um, that whole phenomenon of Doctor Google oh, yeah. and people coming in with that. And uh, you know, uh, and that is that's really again just a very basic thing because now more and more people are collecting their own healthcare data. Now at the moment, of course, there's a big thing with you know us worried well, uh, you know, tracking our counters and you know looking at our Apple watches to tell us yeah. uh, if we're in. We'll fix that as well. (laughs) But this is, again, this is just early days. Like, it's just early days. And what I'm really, what I think will be the game changer here is that these companies um, are recognising the value of having a consumer device that is priced at a consumer-based market, um, but it's medical grade. And easy to use. And easy to use. (laughs) 
but with medical grade, so then it actually, so then clinicians um, won't be able to say, oh, well, who cares what your Fitbit says, or, you know, as yeah. an example, you know, that's not, um, but um, when it's medical grade data that they're getting in, that is, um, and in the easy to use, um, giving people just a spreadsheet of data isn't helpful, but well-designed yeah. dashboards with really critical information, um, that that's going to be a game changer. And look, like for instance, my dad has um, significant health problems, and uh, and it's just a matter of time, I think, with him. Anyway, he's got so many. But recently, he went to see them about heart problems. Um, went to see his doctor, and he lives far away from me, so I don't get to say what happens. And he just rings me and tells me what happened for the day. And so the doctor did what they've been doing for what he they would have done thirty years ago when my dad went to see them with these complaints, and he stri- um, strapped him up to this device that dad has to wear for twenty four hours. Oh, yeah. And I can tell you what my dad does because this is not smart, but he thinks, oh, he'll trick the doctor because he doesn't want to be concern anyone and he also doesn't want people to that you know to realize just how sick he yep. is so he'll be he won't move much he'll he, he won't go to the pub that night and have mm-hmm. a drink have a have a drink um so he'll be on his best behavior to try and make sure all his levels look good i mean this is the uh, this is his thinking um and then the levels will look what say what it is um and, but the next day dad will go back to the pub and, <laughs> and yep. do all those things and his, and the four rings again levels yeah. and his sugar's levels will spike because mm-hmm. he will have a bowl of ice cream for dinner after the chocolate he's just had at lunch you know all these things right so anyway but it's like when when i did you know when i said to my dad look if i could get you a device let's just watch you know but it's actually going to keep an eye on what's happening in your health on a normal on a daily basis would you be interested and he's like oh look you know if if you're happy for me to wear it, i'll do it if you want me to honey you know that sort of stuff and and but at the moment there's no way of me getting that information to his clinicians in a format that it would actually be useful for them uh, because their systems don't integrate, um, you know, those sort of things. So, but in a few years' time, we'll be able to. So, yeah, because I think really some change. systems do. We've, we've collaborated with Apple and Epic in 20. 20- yes. That's not available in Australia. Is no. not? No, no. Not okay. Yet. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But that's a matter but of time. But we'll get there. Yeah. Yes. Last question um, Your conference in 2030. Mm-hmm. What's the main issue on the program? Okay, well, I won't be running it, but I'm going to be in the mm-hmm. audience. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> it still will be a conference. It's yeah, like one of your kids. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so hey, all right, we got another, you know, just um, under over ten years there. Um, that's a great question. I would hope, I would hope that we're no longer talking about the challenges that we'd be talking about now, like things like user design, um, interoperability, like these things that actually technically don't need to be problems anymore, but they are culturally. I would hope that we've changed the culture so much that we, we've actually moved on to conversations where it's just called healthcare. Mm-hmm. Health. <laughs> um, yeah, just called health. health. <laughs> just called health. And uh, that's right. And, and we're talking about how we're actually utilising data to improve health outcomes and improve health and well-being at an individual level, at a population level, at a community level and at a global level um, because that's where all this stuff is, is going to go and that's where it could get really exciting. Uh, so I hope that we're talking about those things as well as, I don't know, will I be riding a hoverboard around the conference? Maybe? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get jetpacks one day, aren't we? <laughs> uh, well, um, there's this guy that crossed the channel with such a thing that yeah. at least have some mind, uh, he was, looks like, of it. He was crying at the press conference. He was so happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, so well, overwhelmed. Good. Louisa, thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your thank show. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Future of Health. 
If you subscribe in your favorite podcast app, new episodes will come to you as soon as I publish them. If you liked it and have a spare minute, please rate this podcast and share it. I also would love to hear your feedback. Thank you again. Lucian Engelen, and at Transform Health, and as an Edge Fellow at the Center for the Edge at Deloitte, I help institutions, corporates, governments, and professionals with a soft landing into the future.